0: Today's pod is another confessional, another walk down memory lane. Dwight and I sat down and talked about our journeys, if you will, from excited young comic book readers to equally as excited, wannabe comic book makers. As kids and teenagers, we were super into comics and collecting them, and somewhere along the way, we married that love with our love of drawing and tried to make our own comics. Now, neither of us ever became professional comic book artists, but it was fun to retrace our steps down that path and recall the people we met and were inspired by along the way. In our talk, Dwight and I discuss how much we loved comics and the language of them. Cover blurbs, word balloons, thought balloons, panels, letters pages, uh, Stanleys, alliteration, the smell of the newsprint. We talked about visiting comic shops all over the city and making friends who were just as into them as we were. And then the tipping point of starting to make our own comics and sample pages and what that was like. We also ask a few questions of ourselves. How did we discover what a pencil was? What an inker was? Who told us that pros drew on Bristol board and used brushes and crow quills? When and where did we first hear the term draw a page a day? Anyway, the whole conversation was a hoot, and I'm glad we had the chance to have it. Thanks for listening. Got the... Understanding Comics, Scott (laughs) McCloud. there yo. That was the Bible for a while, yo. It really was, man. It's still very, very
1: good too, man. He's got this guy has a really good insight mm-hmm. to uh what was going on, man, and it made you question. I mean it basically became a a reference for all the things you had been observing for a long period of time and he put it into a, a nice little encyclopedic ideal and concept. It
0: mm-hmm. was it if you were to compare it like uh drawing comics the Marvel way was more of like a, a journeyman or a more blue collar approach to thinking about comics and making comics just very practical this is what how you do it right six heads tall seven heads tall dynamic figure posing you know you know all all the kinds of just kind of nuts and bolts and just the kind of blue collar aspects of making the comics mm-hmm. this was definitely more of an intellectual approach or, and more of a, a thinking about comics in a uh, and not in an ironic way or in a no, in uh, a sarcastic, but just to like examine it for as a, as a true medium, you know, what's really happening and how the the reader is involved in the process of understanding the story as much as the storytellers are involved in it,
1: you mm-hmm. know? Uh, I would describe it to what you're saying. I would describe it as like a grand exposition into like uh, an expedition into all the various parts of sequential storytelling and mark making. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, it was an exhaustive book. I mean, this guy. I mean, if you guys want to see what we're talking about, just pick up a copy of Understanding Comics: The Invisible Art by Scott McCloud. I and mean, this is not a promo; we're not getting paid for this ad. But this guy is really, really good. Yeah, and he had a sequel. He had a sequel too, which I also bought, called Reinventing Comics, which is also cool. Mm-hmm. And um, he had on a few things. But of course, nobody could plan on the web being as ubiquitous as it was and it is. Right. To where it, you know it, it's like changed the face of everything yeah, forever. So
0: Yeah, like back back then when that book came out, I'm not sure what year it was published, mm-hmm. but at, at the time it was, you know, you had to collect it in a place, in one place, in one form like that, you know, in order for people to get it and to absorb it and to, to try to understand it and then, of course, to like share it. You know, I'm sure there are dog-eared copies of it that were passed around, you know, amongst uh, fledgling, there we go, reinventing comics, amongst fledgling comic book writers and, 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 and artists, Back in the day, and now, like you said, you know, there's just so much that's available at our fingertips on the web mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that you know, there's no need to have to necessarily have one book exactly. You know where you would find these things, but you know, as it relates to comic book iconography, which is kind of what I wanted to discuss with you today, in in, a, in two different forms. You know, we go through a transition from, and maybe it's this way with any with any field, but. You know where we went from readers and lovers of comics and enthusiasts of comics in terms of collecting and that sort of thing, right? To you know, obviously having our own artistic interests and saying, well, hey, what if I tried to make one of these? And then you, you know, your your first your fledgling effort to to make one, you know, to quote Hannibal Lecter, you know, fledgling effort as a uh, as a young you know comic book creator, want to be comic book creator, and then. You know, you move from just loving and appreciating the stories and the characters and, you know, back then the ads and the smell of the newsprint and, oh yeah, oh, you know, yeah. the the hunt to all the, find. All the entrapments. Sorry. Yes, yes. <laughs> you know, the hunt to find all the back issues and then you go from that to, okay, well, you're reading the bylines and now you really are curious about, okay, well, what is a penciler? Mm-hmm. What is an inker? What is that? I've never heard that term before. A colorist. I kind of think I know what that means. An editor, you know, you know what that means from reading books like, you know, Ramona uh, and Henry and, you know, and, 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 wow. th- and things yeah. like that back in the day. Yeah. Hagar the Terrible. And, you know. Yeah, whatever. yeah. You, know, you know what an editor is and you know what a publisher is because, you know, again, you've read books, you know, probably YA books and stuff when you were a kid. And mm-hmm. and, and so now, um, you know, you're applying those loose terms to comics but then it goes further than that, and again, you know, I'm, I want to talk about when that transition happened, where we started. Okay, like how did I figure out what a splash page was? Right. You know, or a a, a word balloon. I guess I maybe read it, or a you know a gutter or a panel. Right.
1: Right. Even the idea. Even the idea of sequential art was not something we said as, as kids. It was a. It was just you know. It was you know panels, and it was you know. Yeah. Pages. You know. Or, Don Hillsman was always like, I get, I get to get these pages done, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, so, <laughs> so it was one of those things where, you know, it was, you know, slowly we grew in to understand it because it's, our our love with it was so great that we, we you know, most, most, at some points, like anybody at certain points in time in their, in their youth, as they gravitate towards things, they have a tendency to want to be part of that thing more and more. So it's like, you, you know, we stopped being, we stopped being just, appreciators of the art form and want to be creators of the art form. Right. You know, and, and, and your, your, your love of various things actually shown itself true in many different ways. Like for example, you were, you became a musician because you liked music mm-hmm. as well as a t- technician, as well as, you know, as well as an artist, because you like, you like the art. So it was, it was, um, yes, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a natural point of growth, I think.
0: Yeah. And, and maybe music is probably the easiest side by side, example of a similar thing where, you know, back in the day, you know, you had kids who grew up in the fifties and sixties listening to rock and roll, and then they wanted to start a band right? and then they started a band and then they become popular and, and, and maybe go on to sell millions of records and to, you know, influence another generation of musicians who are listening to music. And then they pick up guitars and, and, and playing their parents' basement or in the garage Right. Um, or similarly with hip hop, you know, where you listen to somebody and you're like, "Well, that person is is rhyming. I can rhyme too." And then you start rhyming, right. and then you know <laughs> what I'm saying. And then you get generations after generations after generations. And um, but it becomes like you said, you know, where someone is an appreciator and a lover of this thing, and then all of a sudden they want to be a part of it, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then kind of making that transition. And 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 similarly with music, you know, where you go from just hitting play and rewind and you kind of know what a chorus is and a hook is to okay now you know what a vamp is now you know what a top line is now you know what a middle eight is now you know what uh, bpm's are you know and all these other terms that become way more inside baseball than the average person would have at their disposal but before we get into a lot of that man so I was thinking about this as, after I got off the. Uh, we were texting earlier, and I was thinking about this. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a time. You know, I grew up in a broken home, divorced home. You know, my mom, my sister. We moved from Chicago down here. Ended up staying with my cousin June, and then we eventually got our own place. And I was living in in College Park and in, in East Point. Right, College Park. College Park. College Park. <laughs> <laughs> You know, grew up in uh, and and was reading comics, and was very much you know an escape for me. Um, very much defined, you know, in terms of what heroism was and mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. adventure, and then of, of course later on, you know, science fiction and all that comes into play as well with Star Trek and Star Wars and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Battlestar Galactica and you know other things like that. But as a young avid. Like, insatiable comic reader and comic enthusiast. There was a time when I was probably 13, 14, where I knew every place in the metro Atlanta area that sold comics. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, 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 I do, I do. Like,
0: I knew, I mean, I'm not talking about, like, newsstands, per se, although you mentioned earlier the West End newsstand, which was, you know. West End newsstand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you could go is in in, in the West End, uh, part of it is a part of Atlanta down in the uh, south south southwest of the southwest. city.
1: Southwest, yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: And um and definitely uh like the black part of town. So the West End newsstand had comics, tons of comics, great comics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they also had like you know magazines, and they sold cigars and cigarettes and kind of like convenience store items. And then they also sold nudie magazines. Right. So you could get your like your players and your black tail and your penthouse and Playboy and Hustler right. and all that so, stuff
1: too. And, and, and we 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 Bonjour, you know? Yeah, exactly. We magazine
0: or or as a, a a guy, who was it that used to say that? Uh Thomas used to call it Ooh Wee. <laughs> <laughs> Me and uh Mike Dale got a friend named Thomas, he would call it a Oo magazine. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Which is appropriate, you know? Which yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But
0: I knew where Titans was, all the you know, and eventually there were more than one Titans, Oxford Comics, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fisher's bookstore down in Riverdale. There was a place up in Cumming or Canton up in north uh west of the city. Um I knew where all the comic shops were, Paper Chase, the Book Nook. Okay.
1: Right. I mean basically for me it was it was it was Oxford, Paper Chase and Book Nook. Okay.
0: Titan and Titans later on. Okay. You know. Okay, and it got to the point where if my mother was going to run errands and she made me come with her, I'd ask her, "Where, where are we going?" Right, and she'd say, "Oh, I'm, we're going over near uh, Buford Highway, you know, in Doraville. It's going to take us about forty minutes to get there from, you know, from East Point." I'm like, "Okay, that's the paper chase." Right. <laughs> okay, can we go by here? And then, so I'd make her, you know, st- stop by there. Right, you know, because that was the only opportunity I had to go to a place that specifically sold comics—not like the mm-hmm. the spinner rack at the convenience store or the grocery store, but specifically sold comics. Do you have you have those similar kind of memories? You told us about Columbus, Georgia, so. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not gonna go back to
1: that again. But no, man, it, it became a thing where if I could, I mean, I would, I would do like I'll make a plan myself to go to those places. Like when I first met you and 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 the guys, you mm-hmm. know, and the guys being you know Mike Daly. Uh, Don Hillsman, yourself, and might have been one other. Was Antonio there? Antonio K. Maybe. He, he no, no. He he came in and out, so I didn't. We didn't. Meet, I didn't really meet Antonio, but it was might might have been Quinn Cronin. Oh Quinn. You okay, know? yeah. He lives in New York now, by the way. I think he's his teacher. Right. That's cool. That's cool. But yeah, I, I would literally have to go there myself. It might have been even been my, my buddy, um, my buddy Bruce. You might uh, have, have have like gone there ourselves on the bus to catch the bus to go to Oxford Bookstore. Okay. Because Oxford. Oxford, to us, to me, in particular, it was the Mecca. Right. Because there, there was so much diversity there. It was not only just, just, just comics, but it was, it was books, like Swain said. They had a coffee shop in there. You know, they had all kinds of things going on in there that was, like, kind of ahead of its time. It was, like, a like progenitor in some ways for other things.
0: Technically, they had a
1: mezzanine, sir. Mezzanine, that's right, sir. <laughs> Remember that? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the next time I came in contact with that term was when uh, Massive Attack Massive Attack, yes, with, Mezzanine was, yes. was, my, was my, <laughs> my 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 favorite album. By then was was is the Mezzanine. So yeah, uh. but yeah, man, it was it was a it was interesting times. And um, yeah, I I definitely made plans to do just that. I mean, I I I not have a list per se, but I was always I knew what I wanted when I went there. Like I knew I wanted something X Men, <laughs> you know, and I wanted something possibly Teen Titans, mm-hmm. you know. And then later on, it became a thing where, as as the more painfully comics came into vogue, it was like, okay, I want something by Bill Sienkiewicz, you know, mm-hmm. or I want something by by Steve Rude, mm-hmm. you know. And those those are my those are my go tos and go you know. So, but you guys were you guys were in, the, in much more much more as far as vast different arrays of artists than I was at that time. I had very very simple taste when it came to comic book artists. It was it was you know, it'd be John Byrne, or 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 um, George Perez, George George, George Perez. Yeah, you know,
0: or or even th- some of the British comic artists that you became, you know, that you mentioned earlier. Definitely, I would say to to that
1: point, that's where I first found Warrior, mm-hmm. found Warrior magazine. That was due, due to uh, the now deceased um, Mike Van Houten. Mm-hmm. You know, he uh, he it was like, oh, check these like those artists, check these out. You know, and it's like, wow, look at they're large formats, which I didn't get the large formats because as a collector, I'm trying to put it inside this little bag. Yeah, you know? right, 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 and they, and, and they had bags for that, but I wouldn't, I really wouldn't. Um, uh, I really didn't dig into that as much.
0: Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And and I and I remember those days, and specifically, like, even prior to that, because we're talking, like, now you're talking, like, the early to mid-80s. mm mm-hmm. um, But even before that, when I was a much younger reader, and you yourself, I'm sure. So, you know, again, passionate about reading the comics and into the stories and into, you know, all of the uh, – you know, all of the uh, – the accoutrement, if you will, surrounding comics and the iconography, mm-hmm. but I, I'm trying to remember like the first time I became aware of things like uh, the blurbs on the covers that were you know full of hyperbole to get you to to open the book and read it, you know like Adrian and I talked about on the uh, the ten tropes, you know the trial of so and so, you know, and they right, might right, be like right. a judge with a gavel or you know you know right. our hero is is in chains and is you know we don't know what the, their fate is going to be or. The trial of Reed Richards. You the know, trial of Reed yeah. Richards, or um,
1: <laughs> the fate of Phoenix. yeah. know,
0: uh, Stan Lee was big on that at Marvel. The master of that, sir.
1: He was a master of hyperbole, man. I mean, Stan's middle name should have been hyperbole. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> this guy, he, he knew how to draw a crowd like nobody's business, man. I mean, he, he could just he is go into a riff and really just disengage And his, his voice is very engaging and modulated and and is is very coordinated and, and very very much a um, like a DJ. Yeah, he's one. He's out, He's probably, He's the first DJ of comics, dude. You know.
0: Yeah, I mean, in the sense of <laughs> like DJ or you know, or even like an MC, like you know, the mic controller, like to to move the crowd. Yeah. I mean, so you have stuff like "If Death Be My Destiny." Yeah, loved it. Uh, Fantastic Four, This Man, This Monster with the Thing. Love it, love it. Uh, when wakes the sleeper. Right. Just tons of them. Among Us, Hide the Inhumans. Right. Uh, there's a Fantastic Four issue number forty-two, the original, you know, number forty-two. To save you, why must I kill you? The battle you never expected to see. That, sir, that was absolutely yeah. like selling the sizzle. It really was, man. <laughs> it really was. And you know, stuff like that. Um, there, there are more. Lo, there shall be an ending. Right. If this be doomsday. Right. And then uh, Black Panther, number eight, Way of the Warrior, you know, just a way to kind of capture the imagination and the fascination yeah. of a young reader, along with like the, uh, like Stan Lee's alliteration. Like, what, do you remember a point where you realize, wait a minute, why are all these first and last names all starting with the same letters, you know, in Marvel Comics? You remember that? Yeah, I do.
1: I do. <laughs> I do. It's like, okay, come on. First, was Peter Parker, J. Jonah Jameson, you know. Uh, you know Reed Richards, Reed Richards, yeah, <laughs> Susan Storm, yeah, man, Stephen Strange, Stephen Strange, yeah, yeah, it's like come on,
0: man, uh, Happy Hogan, you know, it's like Happy uh, Hogan, wow, you know, all of the all this alliteration is like, where is this coming from, you know? Right, right, which is goofy by today's standards. Yeah, yeah, and then occasionally you would get like a Norman Osborn or a Mary Jane Watson or you know Gwen Stacy, you know, something a little more you know average and everyday, right. But you know, just all of those things, and 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 that kind of infused uh, us with a certain love. Mm-hmm. It, and it's almost I mean, I'm almost thinking that it's maybe similar to, you know, if you watch an action movie, if you watch enough action movies, after a while, you understand the terminology. You know, it's like okay, uh, you know, when they say, "All right, get in there, light it up," you know, so you know they're going to go in and shoot the place up, you know. Right. Right. Or, uh, you know, if they talk about. Uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, disarming a bomb and, you know, a trigger or a fuse or a switch. Right. And, right. Uh, you know, I knew what C4 was before I ever knew anything related to military. Right.
1: Right. right. You know what I mean?
0: <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's that kind of thing where it's like you, you, you're you're so used to, to, to reading it to where you, you kind of can infer from context now where? what they're talking about before you even actually see it, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man.
0: You kind of expect... You know, you know the uh, you know the hyperbole, and you expect the you know mm-hmm. the over the top descriptions, and the uh, mm-hmm. you know the the really fantastic and and otherworldly nature yeah, yeah. Of, of the of the yeah. language of comics. So let's talk, let's talk about that. The automaticity, yeah, with the thwip
1: and the bam and the boom. Oh yeah, and the, the yes, 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 mm-hmm. <laughs> yes The sound, the sound
0: effects, and um, to the point where even now, probably like thwip is most famously Spider Man. You know. Oh, yeah. Shooting his web. And then schnicked. Yeah, yo. Wolverine, yo. Which is Wolverine's claws, yo. (laughs) All day. All day. You know? You know? And I think, too, like, even as a kid, I remember reading the Fantastic Four and thinking even then, okay, the guys who wrote this dialogue are old as shit because, you know, Ben Grimm, (laughs) it's clobbering time. Right, right. You know, uh... The Yancey Street Gang, like 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 yeah, the, the yeah, East Side yeah. Kids or the West End Kids right. or something from like an old you know nineteen forties you know Humphrey right. Bogart movie or Little Rascals show yeah you know? the Little Rascals or <laughs> yeah it was like wait what is this you know and right right uh, even some of the, the rally Cries which were definitely you know really popular in the seventies going into the eighties you know yeah. Avengers Assemble and yeah, yeah. X Men United and uh, right. Flame on, flame on. Like, like, why would he say that? <laughs> right, right, right. Like, why would that be something that you would say? the The original Human Torch in the nineteen forties never said it. Why would you say right, that?
1: Right, right. Well, there you go. That was his distinguishing thing. You know, I guess that, that so. To be, you know, that was allowed had to be his own person, his own thing. You know.
0: I guess so. Yeah, I guess it's pretty so. Funny, yeah, man. And 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 maybe I, not to let DC off the hook, you know, because you know I was <laughs> no. a big avid reader of DC, but. Right, you know the thing that with DC that was different from Marvel, especially during the time when we really kind of came of age as young readers, mm-hmm. was the DC characters. Well, again, to make what to make what Marvel did special is Stan gave each hero a personality,
1: right, and a background, yeah, And a background that was they humanized them, mm-hmm. you know, versus not not just this, you know, this is just all you get from Superman, just one dimensional character that, you know, put on a pair of glasses and changing to Clark Kent, mm-hmm. you know. He wasn't, he had, he, had he, his, he didn't have any real problems to me. Uh, you know, he was always just there at the scene of the crime to to deter the, or fight the criminals. Mm-hmm. There was no, you know, I got to go to school and I had to, I had to, you know, I had to become, uh, I had to make sure my Aunt May is okay. And I had to make sure that various other people in my life are, are situated and taken care and taken care of. You mm-hmm. didn't have those problems, man.
0: Most of the DC heroes kind of had the same personality. You couldn't tell by the way mm-hmm. they spoke or what they talked about. Right. You know, if they were any different, you know, a lot of them had, you know, I'm a millionaire by day and superhero by night. Okay, so basically you ain't got no problems, is right. what you're saying. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> Fighting crime for you is a hobby. You stop yeah, at any exactly. point exactly. You could decide tomorrow, <laughs> I, man, I ain't doing this. You don't go to get on my yacht, you know. You know, you know,
1: I'm taking a vacation from all this.
0: Yeah, travel the world, but... But that was the thing that distinguished them. But like DC would definitely, you know, they had the hyperbole on the covers and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the Superman comics were big on, you know, I was always, again, I was always a big fan of the the comics where somebody else would somehow get superpowers, even if for a limited time and they would be like Superman. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know and it's like okay well what would Perry White do if he could actually he had Superman's powers and you see Perry White flying with that cigar in his mouth you know right right
1: right <laughs> Lois Lane
0: yeah uh, or you know, uh, Jimmy Olsen Superman's pal you know? yeah Superman's <laughs> pal Jimmy Olsen you know but he's he's got his own powers now <laughs> right right and, and even like to the point where I think one of the things about DC for you know for good or ill depending upon what your perspective is is they would fully embrace the goofy oh yeah for sure Like... For sure. Streaky and crypto. Yeah. And, uh... Uh, you know, it wasn't, it didn't start out as DC, but I guess, but like, you know, Boun- Captain. Bouncing Boy. Bouncing boy, Matter, boy, Eater, and Matter and the, Eater Lad. Matter Like, yeah, the Legion of Superheroes, like, literally, it's a clubhouse and it's like a rocket, you know, and they walk in this rocket and they have meetings, you know. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> you know, even the fact that the Justice League met in the Hall of Justice, it had to be right. grand in the Hall of Justice. In right. the Hall of Justice. <laughs> you know, versus the Avengers, where they just had like a mansion. Yeah. You know. They just had like a mansion and, you know, Jarvis just kind of cleaned the mansion and, you know, mm-hmm. the mansion would get laid waste, you know, if they had a battle, you know, a, a, a supervillain or
1: whatever. But, you yeah. know. Several times. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But the other thing I liked about DC was, is, and I sent you guys that cover from, uh it was an issue of The Flash, uh Flash number 172. Mm-hmm. Carmine Infantino cover. I forget who, who inked it, but it's Grodd the Gorilla and it says Grodd. Oh, yes. Remember that? Yes, man. Grodd puts the squeeze on the Flash, and it's a picture of Grodd, and he's holding the Flash's empty uniform, and it's all wrinkly, like it just came out of that ring that Barry Allen yeah. Would yeah. Wear. Love
1: that ring, dude. Yeah.
0: yeah, and there's this, there's a, uh, there's a, a, a word balloon where Grodd is saying, "If you're looking for the Flash on this cover, forget it. This uniform is all that's left of him." Nice. And that was one of the things that I really loved about DC, in terms of in, in break, they would break the fourth wall and talk to the reader. You know, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, S- Joe Kubert, Sergeant Rock would talk to the reader. War is hell, kids. You don't want to end up in. You know, you don't want none of this. You know, uh, right, right, right. You know, they would they would talk to the reader, and 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 sometimes you know it was heavy handed, but it was it would they would break the fourth wall, and that was always like, oh man. So they know I'm here,
1: right? You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like an acknowledgement of sorts. Yeah, yeah, it brings you back into it. Yeah.
0: So I I don't know. I just I just loved it, but the the green lantern i mean uh, the, the flash's ring and his his costume coming out of it sir when i when i first saw that
1: i i mean when i was a kid when i first saw that and and it was a thing where he the ring was ring was coming out and this is when you, this is when you know you're hooked like when they, when they when the ring came out and he had a run into it to get it around him in time. He was so, he was, he was so fast he could, he could run it and dress in that costume. Oh, yeah, without yeah. breaking without breaking a beat. Yeah. But the way, way the way the illustrator did it, I think might have been might have been Gil Kane. And 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 uh, Carmine Infantino might have inked them where he was the, the, with a speed line, sir. Mm-hmm. Now, now, kids, there's something called speed lines. That, <laughs> <laughs>
0: they, <laughs> I think they still have them, right?
1: They they do. They motion do motion lines. Just, it, yeah, they do motion lines, speed lines. I mean, even even called like zip lines, which is not a big are going down the line, right? But um, on a on a, on this this device that you can slide down from one end to another, but the speed lines indicate motion, and no no better was that illustrated in than in, in fast characters that move fast like with was the flash and pietro quicksilver mm-hmm. to the point to where you're able to follow their their you're able to follow their 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 journey and their their, their movement through the panel mm-hmm. with those speed lines and it was just it was just very it was a very much a, a thing which is of comics and and uh, of this particular time period in particular
0: yeah very specific and even like in the flash he, he, as you're talking about i thought you were going to touch on this but um, and, you know, again, The Flash is the first place where I saw it to the point where, I, again, I started looking for it. Mm-hmm. Where Carmine Infantino would draw, it'd be a, a, like maybe like a, a landscape panel. And so you'd see The Flash. It'd be four or five different drawings of The Flash in different movements where he's doing this, picking this up over here. Awesome. He's grabbing that over there. And he's punching this person over here. And he's running over here. And so you get a sense of he's moving so fast that, you know, all these people... He can be in all these different places at almost seemingly at once, mm-hmm. you know, and then you see that saw that again, like reflected in uh, in Pietro later on uh, Quicksilver uh, and then other fa- other fast characters. Kid Flash comes along mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and then eventually Impulse. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, just those kinds of things really made comics, comics. And like you said, like speed lines and motion lines. And of course, they have motion lines in like manga, uh, which, you know, my daughter Skylar reads. But. You know, right. but but they're not the same. It's not the same. The motion lines in manga are almost used for emotion in a way. Yeah, yeah. you know, to some extent, as well as in you know dy- dynamics and and, and in uh, action.
1: You know, exactly. Uh,
0: and I think I think to to a
1: certain degree, not not to diminish um, uh, manga, um, it's not a, at all. What, the, the, it's just a different language in terms of like literally and 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 visually, mm-hmm. because there's a, there's a thing that they do that we don't do um in terms of comics and 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 that they do they do great emotion and they 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 we we do great emotion too it's just a different kind different caliber of, of emotion you know and, and i think our, our 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 language is in some ways is in terms of visual language is less is more you know what you always talk about is so sometimes you could do like that, that 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 single panel with when when green lantern and green arrow are talking to the the black man you know and he, and he's like you know what are you do about that, Mister 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 Green Lantern? You know, right? And 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 it's like that that emotion alone, that focus on his face, and that 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 look on his face didn't need the emotion lines that you would get with with, with manga, you know, in his face. It's so that so he's got a certain kind of like 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 sense of of dourness and, and 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 sadness in his face.
0: Right, right. And and that was an example of Neil Adams the art and Dick Giordano the artists on that. Attempting to bring a subtler emotion mm-hmm. to comics, where literally, you know, you have such a limited amount of real estate in comics, you know, 20 some odd pages, mm-hmm. you know, so many panels per page, unless you're, you know, Keith Giffen, where you have like 14 panels on a page, you or, know, or sometime. George Perez, or, George, you know, or Perez. George Perez, yeah, where you have like a dozen panels on a page, but you have such a limited amount of of, of real estate to use, but to devote two whole panels to the emotion of Hal Jordan as Green Lantern saying, I don't have an answer for this. I don't know how to address this. Right. You know, and 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 kind of being caught in his feelings about it mm-hmm. was, was really great. And it's the difference between how comics are a, uh, are not as adept as showing subtle emotion as a film can. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, a film or television can show emotion. You can literally show the, the movement or the, the emotion on a face from elation to being crestfallen mm-hmm. within a split second, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you can capture that in the same way that it would be like if I was talking to you and I made you laugh, and then I told you something sad or shocking, and then your face changed immediately. You know, you can capture all of that much easier on on film and in in, in uh, uh, TV than you can in a comic. But you see where Neil was trying to trying to adapt
1: and bring some of that. Very much so, man, and, and storytelling being like a, a major key point and comics that, that, I mean, is a visual medium, but it's also a written medium, but if you can convey, if you can get an artist that's as good, at, a good illustrator and a, a very good, a very good uh, um, human observer, he can take those human emotions and up, up, apply them to the specific characteristics of the face to, to relate that emotion without saying the words. Yeah, and that that's that's a mark of a true master, and there's a there's a there's a, there's a fine line. I mean, that, that very few artists that can actually do that. I mean, they're, they're more because there's now a, a school of comics, and there's an ideal of comics that of 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 gone beyond where they start off in the in the in the in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. You know, they're, they're, there's 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 a whole ideal behind it. there's an industry that supports the idea of what it takes to make a good quality comic. Mm-hmm. You know, and people go to school and understand those things now. Now they can they can emote. And their characters can emote based on learning those those attributes and qualities.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and now, you know, like I remember, maybe the Joe Kubert School was probably the first school that focused on comics that I remember hearing about as a as a young, you know, fledgling wannabe preteen teen thinking, oh, "I want to make a, make a comic myself," you know. And I remember the Joe Kubert School coming along. Right. Um, certainly, there were. Schools that had aspects of that, you know, you had the School of Visual Arts and um, and other things, but uh, but that was the first one. Was like, okay, comics was in the name, right? You know, basically was in the name. And I knew who Joe Kubert was because I was a huge fan, right? You know, and I was you know really enamored with uh, you know with his his work as an artist. So Mm -hmm. as it relates to that, do you remember a point in your in your maturity from becoming like a preteen to a teenager to, you know, like a young adult where mm-hmm. you started trying to make your own comics and. Uh, are you kidding me? And and yeah. <laughs> and what that looked like then versus, and, and how you begin to gather information on, okay, what exactly are they doing and how are they doing it? And, mm-hmm. you know, and all of that stuff. You, you do remember? Oh
1: Yeah. I mean, again, I mean, I was, you know, in a lot of ways, I still am on that quest to become a, to become a graphic novel artist. You know what I mean? Right. It's never stopped. It's just the permutations have changed to great my, 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 my methods, my mediums have changed. But I still use the same basic, you know, here's a script. Here's, here's the characters. You know, I have to put those characters inside these, inside these panels. And then I add all these other things on top of it to build the story and build, a, build a, the kind of story I want to tell now versus back then. Mm-hmm. But my first, uh, not knowing, naive way of looking at comics and, and, and understanding the language of what the tools needed to do it was when I uh, I think I, I was at uh, I was going to school at uh, at Theral High School and I was there was a there was, a, uh, there was a, a rival school there called Douglas. Oh yeah. And oh yeah. My, my friend at that time, yeah, my friend at that time, his name was Bruce. He um he knew a guy um that was drawing his own comic. And and I was drawn working on drawing my own characters and developing my own my own stuff, and the guy would take my characters, Bruce would take my characters to him, and the guy would embellish on them and make them better, and make them, it was like wow okay oh shit. so this is it's like yeah so I was like, it's like oh oh so the guy liked my he liked my concepts, but then he was but he but his 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 hand understanding a lot of the stuff we're talking about is developing hand eye coordination mm-hmm. and and understa- understanding line weight. Understanding, you know, uh, perspective. Understanding how, like, like Swain said earlier in the conversation, the 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 the, the, the head ratios between between average characters and 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 regular and superheroic characters, mm-hmm. and 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 th- things like that were part of the language of comics, which aren't really weren't really told, but we developed skill sets for and and at least realize them. So, um, I guess a long long story made short would be where, I first like felt the urge when. I saw this guy um, do it like strongly, like it was. A, it became a tangible thing, and then shortly thereafter, I met I met you and Don Hillsman and Mike Daly at Oxford, and I knew, okay, this is something I really had to be doing because the, the, this this the, the character designs. To me, in a lot of ways, what you guys were doing affected me more than the comic books did because it became a thing where it was a storytelling medium, and I saw the stories that you guys were doing where every bit is interesting and engaging. And, and perhaps not as, as homogenized as what I saw in the comics. Hmm. So that, that became a thing for me. I was like, okay, this is not just a, a, a drawing medium. This is a storytelling medium. This is, and, and and me, my strength, my strength is in design. So I said, more, more that it's a design medium. So as a, it, it affected my, my, my sensibilities to the point to where I wanted to become a graphic designer, where I, where I wanted to be an illustrator. And uh, I, I, I pursued those things. Then I, became a thing where of course technology outpaced everybody yes and then you had to adapt to it because those computer those computerized tools so where it it, once upon a time it might have been laughable that she would you would take um, which was a really bad uh, way of looking at it you took um, your your thumbnails some of those thumbnails to uh, your editor either through FedEx or heaven forbid through a fax machine right and the fax machines were so so dot matrixy and so poor, such a poor representative. Like, <laughs> yeah. Did you mean for that thumb to be over there? It's like, no, didn't mean for it to be over there. But that's what the fax machine did, right? You know. And there's no way. But uh, yeah. So that's that's my my very long answer to a very short question.
0: No, no, that's that's what I stuff. That's what I was looking for, and I suspected as much. And you and I were talking earlier today because I was asking you. I was like, like you live in Ellenwood, Georgia now. Mm-hmm. But I was asking. I said, did you ever live in Decatur? And you said, no, 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 I lived off Campbellton Road in the, in southwest Atlanta, otherwise known as the Swats. The Swats. The Swats and I was like, <laughs> "Really? Why do I not remember that?" cuz I was in East Point, which was, you know, which is not far away, maybe 15-20 minutes away. Right. And I didn't remember that, I, but I do remember going to your house after meeting you on the bus. Right. And and you know, we're all like drawing and all that stuff, but like I can remember as a young kid, maybe 8, 9, 10 years old, trying to draw like little three-panel cartoon strips like Charles Schultz or Bill Keane. Family Circus, Peanuts. Right. And nice. kind of wanting to do that. And then, you know, I started reading Mad Magazine and Cracked Magazine. And then I started trying to do that. And those, you know, those those artists were just. Harvey Kurtzman. You know, your, yeah. Dave, yeah. your Dave Bergs and your Harvey Kurtzman's and your uh, Mort Druckers. I mean, they were just. Yes. Uh, Killing. Uh, you know, just incredible. Like, yeah. like, super incredible. Yeah. So I was like, I, I'm never going to be that good. And then I eventually started trying to make my own comics. And. You know, and that started just as just trying to like imitate, like I'd try to draw the cover, a cover that I liked. I'd try to recreate that cover, you know, and then you know, and I'd start over on it like a hundred times. You ah, you know, ball the paper up and throw it away and start over it right. on like a hundred times. Factor. Right. Yeah. You know, just trying to get it right. <laughs> and then I remember in high school, maybe in like tenth grade, and there was a guy in my class named Dion Portis, and he had an older brother. Okay. Who was named Kendall Portis. Okay. And I knew Kendall drew and then I went over Dion's house one day and Kendall had comics and he had drawings and um, he was a big fan of Barry Windsor Smith and I had never heard of Barry Windsor Smith.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know. The studio. Yeah. But he
0: was talking about Barry Windsor Smith is the greatest comic artist. You know, he would he was holding court <laughs> and I was like, you know, he's right. older than us, you know, that's older than me. So of course I'm listening to him and, Right. and I'm like, oh, okay. And I'm looking at Barry Windsor Smith and I'm thinking to myself, Well, this guy looks like Jack Kirby. What? Right. What's the deal? But Right. You know, but but Kendall, I mean he he was he, he certainly was not the nerd that I was and am now today. He he just never was that. Right. But he had a keen enough artistic eye to point out that well no, when you look at when he first started out, he was drawn like Jack Kirby. But then within a few issues by the time he finishes his run on Conan, which was very short, you know, you see him starting to mature into a much different artist. And he was obviously he was implying the fact that Windsor Smith Was adopting a quote Marvel House style at first. Right.
1: Which is adequate. Yeah, it was adequate.
0: Yeah, and it it worked Mm -hmm. for a time, but he quickly outgrew that and outpaced that Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. became the Barry Windsor Smith that we all, you know, admire and respect today. And so, but Kendall could draw. And so Kendall could sit down and he could draw the covers and imitate those covers and get them pretty close. Wow. And I was like, damn. Right. Damn, okay. So then I went back home and I'm you know, I'm back on my shit, yo. You know what I'm saying? Right, I'm right, like, right. you know
1: Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. And um and, and and that I think was a time where I realized, okay, so there are people who are my age who could kind of do this pretty well and had an interest in it almost to the level that I did. hmm Um, and then shortly after that, when I turned sixteen, was when I met Don. Okay. And that's, Don was the first person, I've mentioned this multiple times on this show, Don was the first person I ever saw, you know, with 11 by 15, 11 by 17. Sheets of paper, right?
1: Double ply Bristol board. Bristol board, yo, yes sir. The boards, yo.
0: The boards. You know, yeah, and, and and would draw, you know, he would do his thumbnails and he'd blow them up and he had a light box. Yeah, he was. Don was eighteen at the time. Eighteen, he had a light box.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: You know, and he was and he was inking with a brush and with a crow quill, and with markers and stuff. Killing it. Inking well, yeah. And he was really, <laughs> he was really, really, really like dope with the airbrush.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: You know, so he would color and paint. You know, and and Doc Martin's colors, yeah. Doc, Doc Martin's Doc colors, Mar- yeah, yeah, all of that. Yeah, yeah. He would paint with watercolors <laughs> and stuff too, and he would paint with his airbrush and he or he would embellish it with his airbrush. But that was a time, he was the first person, I was like, wow, you know, so I learned, you know, I knew obviously what a word balloon and panels were at that point, you know, from having, you know, been around enough, Right. but the, but the tools of the trade and, oh yeah, you do with a pencil and then they might spray it and, you know, and put something on it so the pencil marks don't smudge and then maybe ink over it or paint over it and... Right, you know, and uh, and then they, oh, they photograph it this big, and then it, they they reduce it. So when you reduce it, you it looks different than when it's larger. Exactly. And so I'm learning about you know reproduction. That so that was when I was like, oh man,
1: right, right.
0: I got a long way to go. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a huge world you stepped into, man. Yeah. But I mean, what what made what made Don so good, man, is Don Don understood things relationally in terms of in terms of the breakdowns. Like he could look at. He could look at um, uh, Gil Kane, and he could can, can, can say, "Okay, this is what Gil's doing. Mm-hmm. You know, this, this is this is this is the foreshortening. This is this is the this is the trapezius. This is this is not the trapezius I'm pointing to, but this is, <laughs> you know, this is the bicep, and so on and so forth. How it how, you know, connects the dots, and how he connects the lines, and then Don could replicate that. Like he would go back and say, okay, this is this is how you do it.' You know, right? And, and um, you know, learned a lot from that guy, man. Like you said, he he was an incredible font of knowledge, man, and and still still to this day." Um, he is that those those abilities, um, but yeah, man. I, and going back further though, I want to say my, my first is when well, I talked this before in the past. My first my first realization that, that that someone could actually draw these things was my uncle doing that Thor for me back in back in back in oh, Chicago. yeah yeah
0: yeah yeah yeah.
1: You know, but that that was the first time I got bit by it. But you know, seeing that there was a kid my age that could do it, it was a whole other conversation. Right. You know, I mean, maybe like a year two years above me, maybe it's like a senior, senior year or whatever. But he was killing it, man. Mm-hmm. and i was like wow this is this is i mean this is unbelievable man i mean it was just totally immersive and it w- was it flawed sure it was but the energy that you get from comics was totally there a lot of people they stop in terms of creation because they're not getting that particular foreshortening thing right or that leg or that arm the way they see it or they see the professionals doing it but this didn't stop that kid you know this kid this kid had, had basic structure down, down 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 pat a lot like uh a lot like uh, like don and, and mike did I and mean, mike yeah, Mike Daly understood weight better than than some artists still to this day. As far as how you shift the light or weight, or weight, and the line will be be darker based on that weight and that line. Mm-hmm.
0: And you mentioned Mike Daly. You know, Mike was somebody who I met before Don. I think. Mm-hmm. Uh Yeah, I met Mike before Don, and then again, you know, like you said, Mike. You know, Mike was really into John Byrne. Mm-hmm. You know, and Mike, you know, had his own characters, and he was working with Antonio, Antonio Cade at at the time, and they were working on right. uh, a team book that they were trying to put together. Don was working on his own characters. I remember Don, this is in the 80s, this is in in the Atlanta area and at the time uh, was during the uh, the Atlanta child murders. Not to go yeah. dark on everyone. But, <laughs> <laughs> but there was a kid named Nathaniel <laughs> Baltazar who was killed during that time. And I remember Don had a character, a villain called Baltazar. Oh shit,
1: he did, didn't
0: he? He did, yeah. Oh,
1: okay, yeah. He did, yeah.
0: <laughs> wow. He thought that was so cool. And he even Don had a character, he had like a funny character because, again, Don was into Cerebus and he was into, uh, you know, other kinds of non superhero comics mm-hmm. or, or not traditional superhero comics, you know, funny comics, Bigfoot comics. He was interested in all that stuff. And he had a character called Bebo. I remember, which was like a funny bear, but it was a it was okay. a bear with like maybe like with R rated dialogue or something like that. Okay, you that know? sounds like Don. Yeah, but 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 again, bringing it back home to the iconography. So Don was the one who you know he would, he he talked about, and Mike did too to some extent because we would go to mm-hmm. all the way up to um, Sam Flax art supplies in Buckhead. Yes, yo.
1: Sam Flax, yeah,
0: yeah, on yeah. Peachtree Road, yeah, and we get our Bristol board and we cut it, you know, eleven and a half by seventeen or whatever, and cut it on the cutting board, and you'd have some left over, and you use that for, you know, for like, you know, for scratch or for just to draw like doodles on or whatever, right, right, and because uh, they didn't sell it like they do now, where you could buy comic book paper, you know, you could buy it if, if they even sell it now. I'm Sure, people, mm-hmm. most people are going digital, but, um, and 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 again, Don was the first person I saw ink with a brush and a crow quill. I was mm-hmm. like a brush. How do you use a brush? And he could get a really thin line, right? Right, and, in the
1: thickness, yeah.
0: Yeah, and I was like, wow, you know. And this this blew my mind. And then I realized what I was seeing on the page, from inkers like Joe Rubenstein or Dick Giordano or Terry Austin or Klaus Janson, or even some of the you know Dan Atkins or some of no, is it Dan Atkins? I think it was Dan Atkins, uh, or Dave Hunt. You know, some of the uh, some of the more B level inkers. I could see. Oh, they're mm-hmm. actually using a brush mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. ink this. Mm-hmm. And and I wasn't very good with the brush, but I remember seeing some of Howard Chaikin's original artwork, which he you know he said by his own admission it was cruder back cruder then than it is now. Mm-hmm, but you mm-hmm. know he would use markers and sharpies and just everything. You know it looked like he ain't to get his hand on yeah yeah it's like it just yeah. looked like a mess. Same thing with Bill and it just looked like a mess. If you saw it in person, it was like oh god he's you know it had, it had literal texture to it because it'd just be some of everything on it. Right right. But that's how they would achieve you know their final product. And mm-hmm, so I mm-hmm. then I started trying to mess around with like you know with pin pin sticks and things like that to mm-hmm, try to mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. and and again.
1: Repidiograph show.
0: show. Oh yeah, show. <laughs> Which I never had a repidiograph set that lasted longer than like a month before it started drying out. You're like, God it, damn, right, <laughs> right? You get clogged
1: up. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, come on, man. You know, the point the point five nibs. Great. Yeah,
0: all of those, all of those. <laughs> you know, and then from that point, like. Do you remember when you said, okay, now, okay, I'm not just a comic reader and an enthusiast. I'm not just a collector. Now I'm someone who wants to do this. And then you started kind of seeking out interviews so you could find out, okay, what is the magic brush that they use? Yes. What size brush is it? it, What size crow quill? Uh, Are they using a Bristol board with with a tooth on it? Are they using a smooth Bristol board? You know, uh, you know when the painterly comics came out. Cold press or hot
1: press? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. All yeah. of that. <laughs> you, do you remember at some point becoming? I do, I do, man.
1: Uh, I remember, like, uh, like for example, I think my, uh, my my first quote unquote pro assignment cover um, I did for a, a writer, and um, I remember looking at, I remember doing the entire. I, I got my Bristol board. I went to went to uh uh, wasn't wasn't Sam Flax? It was um, was it Michaels? Arts and... Michaels, okay. I was gonna my, say my, Dick Blake I Dick Blicks too. My, I think It was Dick Blick. Dick Blick and Buckhead, and I got the wrong freaking kind of of illustration board. Right. And I did like this really nice by my standards, my really nice layout of the of the entire illustration on the on the Bristol board, and it was not the right kind of Bristol board. So when I started doing, I started painting on it, it started curling. I was like, "Oh shit!" So you know, me, (laughs) me, me being me being adverse to doing things over and over again. I was like, "I'm gonna make this work. I'm gonna make this work." And I took it to Don because Don was my mentor in a lot of ways. You know, he's like, "Okay, you got your first assignment. I just want to help you through it. You know, make sure you're getting this. You know, getting it right, so you get the best possible best possible you know final image out of it." Mm -hmm. I was like, "Okay, okay." So I did that. So I went there, and to my chagrin. But a good chance to learn the, the process of where it is to be a professional mm-hmm. is like, get to draw it again. So <laughs> I drew it again on the, on the right kind of board, and, and the results were better. But it was like, it wasn't, it was never the same as it was the first time to me. I was like, it's, just, it's like, this is not as good to me. You know, I don't, I don't like it, you know, as, as well. But it was good because one of the things they teach you too is to kill your darlings. So it was a step towards, before I went to college, it was like, you have to, you have to learn how to draw things over and over again to get it right maybe not so much now with control Z and the way things are done digitally. But, you know, it's good to be able to, to realize that you, 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 know, this is part of the process, destroying yeah. things and, and birthing them again as part of the process, you know, that, that, that pencil line, don't get too attached to it. It's got to go away. Right. You know, it's got to go away. So, so you're going to fade it out. It's not going to be as crisp anymore. Get used to the idea of, of, of leveling up and building on top of what you created to make it part of the, the finished process.
0: And you know, so. as it relates to that, uh, Dwight, that's, like, I can remember a point reading interviews, I mean, just, I'm absorbing tons and tons of interviews, and mm-hmm. so now I'm learning about, you know, oh, okay, so, you you know, the idea of inking the pencils was simply done for reproduction, and then that actually became an artistic expression in and of itself within mm-hmm. the layered mm-hmm. process of making a comic from idea to script to pencil to ink to colored and lettered to published and then into my hands. And that I begin to learn, like you know, people like Neil Adams and whatnot would talk about in interviews, where they would try to make their pencils ink proof, inker proof, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, or try to some, make some, it
1: some some guy got, some guy insulting called dummy proof, you know, it's
0: like <laughs> dummy proofing it, yeah, or or colors proofing it, you know, where if you felt yeah. like the colors wasn't going to do it any justice, so you spotted an awful lot of blacks, so there wasn't a lot of color needed, mm-hmm. you know, and and things of that nature, but but yeah, and I think that you know, even like um, again realizing, okay, how many pages. You know, and learning about a page a day, yeah. You know, and then okay, well, when did they do the cover? You know, and the, you know, and in my mind, you know, the cover was the showpiece. You know, there were comics I bought specifically just for the cover. Surely, surely, that was that was that was a lock. That was that's what locked you in. You know, right. It was almost like a uh, like a spot illustration. You know, like for a magazine or for something else like that, and mm-hmm. and other things. Um, Be uh, before we part, man. I, I I wanted to read something real quick. Okay. So it's a meme and it says, uh, people who can't draw. Drawing is fucking hard. People who don't try at all. Drawing is fucking hard. Teachers, (laughs) drawing is fucking hard. (laughs) Beginning artists, drawing is fucking hard. Professional artists, drawing is fucking hard. Famous (laughs) artists, drawing is fucking hard. Extremely (laughs) famous artists, drawing is fucking hard. Long gone passed away artists who went down in history. Drawing is fucking hard. Mm-hmm. People who are upset and artists won't draw for them for free. Drawing is easy. <laughs> of course it is. Of right. course it
1: is. Right, right, right. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. That's that's awesome. That's why it's not called art play. It's called <laughs> artwork. <laughs> You know? (laughs) Yeah! You know? She's called artwork, dog. You know? Yeah. And, And that's just what it is. I mean, yeah, drawing is fucking hard, dude. That concludes this episode of Sidebar Forever hosted by Dwight Clark, Swain Hunt, and Adrian Johnson. You can find us online at SidebarForever.com. Any emails or questions can be directed to us at SidebarForever at gmail.com. And also, subscribe to us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram.